Welcome to Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. Uh, yeah, only six days left until the big guy in the red suit arrives. So uh, Everybody's I, eyes just jumped like, uh, what? Okay, <laughs> I went to the packaging place to send off a, just a little two-pound package to the uh-huh. kids out in California, hoping to get it there by Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. $100 in shipping <sighs> if oh, I wow. wanted to send it. And I said... Oh, this can be a New Year's gift. <laughs> Come on. Uh, oh, yeah. it was, that was just a little ditty that I was sending them. Okay. Well, we'll, I, that's, I waited. Well, it just arrived. It was a thing that was delayed. So, uh, if you got stuff like that, hopefully it's closer than California. Uh, otherwise it's going to break the bank. We always tell you, be careful of the overpasses. That was never more clear than yesterday. Telegraph Road, Redford Township. I know exactly uh, at where Plymouth. that is. Yeah, yes. and let me and folks hit it. Started spinning. A woman named Bianca Barber. Her car hit the wall. Then it was hit by another car, and another, and another, and another. And she said she thought she was gonna die. I undid her seatbelt, got her out. As soon as I got her out, the car smacked into us. We fell, and I was like, "Oh my God!" We were next to the wall. Did you think you were gonna die up there? thought we was going to be dead because once the car smacked, it pushed us down to the ground. It was two girls in front of me. I could tell they was like, let's get a shot. And I just kept telling them because she looked me in my eyes. I said, you got to get out the car. Get out. Get out. And she was just like panicking. I was like, get out. And all you could hear was, Bianca Barber speaking with Local 4's uh, Mara McDonald uh, at 11 last night. I got to tell you, if you're in that situation, Stay in your car. I know you, you. The instinct is to panic and to get out. Well, you're just a sitting duck in this. You are pile up. But you're a safer sitting duck in a car with crush zones and safety features than you are trying to weave your way through other cars, not knowing whether the pinballs are going to get you. Exactly. And if somebody else decides to slam into something and then they slam and then you fall off yeah. of the car and fall onto the freeway or the roadway. I, I felt that. terrible for her. But there's the, 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 a reason I shared. I, I'm not ridiculing her. I understand the panic. I yeah. truly do. Yeah. Uh, I've been in whiteouts where it's like, we got to get out of here. And you just have to steal yourself and say no. Uh, lots of j- buzz these days about uh, Mich- <laughs> the city of Detroit's. A most embattled couple, uh, Kwame yeah. Kilpatrick and Christine Beatty, uh, both making headlines. And uh, Christine Beatty with a pretty big interview. Yes, yeah, she did. Uh, former uh, Kwame Kilpatrick chief of staff, Christine Beatty, sat down with local forest Christy McDonald for a one-on-one interview that aired yesterday. She moved to Atlanta after the text message scandals between her and Kilpatrick and is now back living in Detroit and working as a program director for the Heat and Warmth Fund. That's Thaw. Beatty moved back in 2021 when her mother was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. She cared for her mother until August of this year when her mom passed away. It's been 15 years since the scandal and Beatty was asked, why talk about it now? Because there were a few people, I think, questioning how I got my position at Thaw. And so the, the conversation really more is so that people understand from me. You know what's going on. I'm not a city official anymore. I'm not a public official, um, but um, the work that Thaw does is important enough for me to, to clarify <laughs> for anybody how I got there and what I'm doing. And guy, next hour we'll talk. Uh, we'll hear from Beatty, and uh, she'll talk about the last time she spoke with the former mayor, and also we'll talk about that restitution she still owes to the city of Detroit. Well, and the few people she was talking about raising issues about her working at a nonprofit was M. L. Elric, the Pulitzer Prize Emmy Award-winning <laughs> yes. reporter. Uh, who is going to be joining us uh, later on this morning as well to talk about that at 735, who says, look, 
whether you're talking about Christine Beatty or Kwame Kilpatrick, it's they, they say they've changed. He says, no, they haven't. They still owe restitution. And he says, you know, she was head of the Kilpatrick Civic Fund, which was also a nonprofit riddled with corruption, ended up being a slush fund that they used it for their own extravagant lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So does she belong at a nonprofit? ML raises that question. Meantime, the Pope raising eyebrows yesterday, Jamie. That's right, Guy. Pope Francis formally approved letting Catholic priests bless same-sex couples. So this is a radical shift in policy aimed at making the church more inclusive, but it still maintains its strict ban on gay marriage. It's a document from the Vatican's Doctrine Office, and it elaborates on a letter Francis sent to two conservative cardinals in October. That was his preliminary response, and he suggested blessings could be offered under some circumstances, as long as it wasn't confused with the ritual of marriage. This new document repeats that and elaborates, reaffirming that marriage is a lifelong union between a man and a woman. Now, some people are are saying this is great. This opens the door. It welcomes more people in the LGBTQ community. Others are saying absolutely not. This is against what we believe in. So, of course, you know. There's discrepancies in what people think about this. As, yeah. as a Catholic myself, I am happy to welcome everyone into the church. Well, and, the, you know, wasn't that Jesus? Uh, yes. Yeah, I He did. said, let you know? them come to let, me and let, everything. Yeah. So. Uh, and, and yet there are those, the conservative wing of the Catholic Church, saying, look, this is a step towards rewarding sin. And uh, that and is what some people believe. That, that's, yeah. yeah and, that's, and that's their belief. And they're mm-hmm. saying this is a kind of the, the these are incremental steps that will lead to the full recognition of gay marriage, something that they oppose. I'm I'm with you on that. This it's is saying about, that is about not the marriage. It's between a man and a woman. This is a blessing. Mm-hmm. And then some in the LBGTQ community are saying, well, it doesn't go far enough. We're still inferior to heterosexual couples. The, uh, we, we discussed this yesterday, the big acquisition, uh, proposed acquisition of U.S. Steel. This would be like Toyota taking over GM, okay? <laughs> Imagine the, the, the ripples from that here. You've got Nippon Steel taking over U.S. Steel in Pittsburgh. Uh, but in the auto, automotive news this morning, uh, reporters talking with consultants and analysts who say this could actually be good for the automotive industry, which has seen huge steel price increase uh, ever since the tariffs and things like that, um, they believe that this kind of specialty steel that the automotives are looking for could become more affordable under this arrangement. I don't know when you have two giants coming together. I, I look at that as saying on the face it's anti-competitive. Analysts are saying no. For the automotive sector specifically, this could be a good thing. Uh, the Lions not getting any help in terms of an automatic entry into the playoff no. picture. I'm not so sure that's a bad thing because it yeah. opens the door to something else. This is what we talked about yesterday. This is what Nick was saying. So Seattle won yesterday. So the Lions did not clinch a playoff spot. But they're still in the running for the second seed in the NFC because of all that. So how does it work? If the Lions went out and so do the Eagles, they'll have identical records at 13 and 4. But the Lions would have the tiebreaker. Not by playing each other, but having better record in common games. Lions are 5 and 1 in those common games. Eagles are 4 and 2. So the Lions could jump the Eagles in that uh, respect. Now the Lions could still get the one seed, okay? And mm-hmm. a first round bye if the 49ers lose two of their final three games. Probably not. But they've got the but Rams you're saying there's and the a Ravens, yes. right? Yeah. And both those teams have have been showing uh, I mean the Ravens are on fire. Yes. And the Rams have been showing some life. It could happen. Now the Lions are going to tell you their goal at the beginning of the season was to win the division, 
They can do that this weekend in Minnesota. Uh, the first time since 1993 yeah. and host a playoff game. That's what they're focused on. Let's just on. walk through the front door. Let's just yeah. not go through exactly. the window in the back door. Earn it. Let's go through the front That's door. That's the Dan Campbell way. You yes. earn it. Yes. Uh, yeah, and that will break a 30-year drought. Meantime, uh, Lions season ticket holders getting a bit of a <laughs> surprise in the mail. <laughs> this is the invoice for, for next year. Uh, one lower bowl ticket holder saw invoices uh, increase 69%. A fan that sits at the club level will see a 59% increase. Success comes with a price. Demand is high. I mean, they yeah. already sold out season tickets this year, and now they're supposed to win the division, do all these things. Of course. All right. Nick Roddy, do you think that the Lions can get that by? You were the one yesterday saying, don't uh, be don't be rooting for the uh <laughs> For the Eagles yeah, I mean, and that automatic in. I agree with don't root for the Eagles. I mean, the 49ers have to lose two of their remaining three games. They play the Ravens and the Rams, so it's possible. But like Jamie says, that two seed comes with an extra home game. So uh, I'm all for that. So Well, yeah, I, th- I think wouldn't we all have a lot more fun? I mean, a buy is nice, but more playoff games mm-hmm. in this starved town. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Uh, that'd be pretty good, too. When we come back, uh, a major human trafficking bust out of Macomb County. You know, they say that prostitution is a victimless crime. Mm, wait till you hear what these victims went through. That's next on JR Morning at uh, 619. Three women were charged, one arrested following a year-long human trafficking probe undertaken by sheriff's deputies out of Macomb County, which found an alleged prostitution ring that spanned state lines around the Midwest. A 52-year-old woman taken into custody, two other female suspects, have still not been arrested as of yesterday. Let's get the latest now with Macomb County Sheriff Anthony Wickersham, who joins us live on JR Morning. Good morning, Sheriff. Good morning. Are those uh, two other women, are they still uh, out at this point? Yes, um, we believe they had ties to, I think it was Chicago and Indiana. And so we're uh, communicating with uh, law enforcement officials in those areas to to help us uh, try to apprehend them and bring them back here to answer to the charges. How did you get uh, wind of this uh, rain? Uh, this came in uh, just on a, a tip that this activity uh, may have been going on in one of the spots in Macomb County. And our deputies and our investigators then began the investigation, which uh, just continued to grow and to grow uh, over the year. There was a total of 54 search warrants that were completed um, to culminate the uh, the nine search warrants that were done at the time that we took all these individuals into custody. And, Sheriff, what was happening in the spas that is illegal? Uh, <clears throat> the workers were um, soliciting sexual acts, and, and through our investigation and information, pretty much they were, they were forced to solicit acts. Um, Pay was uh, based on uh, how big a tip they would get uh, performing acts. And information also obtained was the fact if they weren't producing, then they were moved either to another spot or another area. Um, so most of these women, um, as we said in the, in the press release and in the press conference yesterday I was talking about, um, they had no transportation. They were driven everywhere. Most of them had to sleep at the spas. Um, so really, they, they weren't free to go and, and do as they wanted. This was a, a form, Sheriff, of, the, of really an almost indentured servitude, wasn't it? I mean, there's this notion that the, the, these women choose this life and that this is some in some ways a victimless crime. Speak to that, because this sounds more like slavery 
than it does a choice. Yeah, 100%, guy. In these situations, you know, they're going to say, well, they're there for their own free will. They're, you know, they're they're performing these acts, and, you know, they, they have opportunities. You know, some will say they'll have opportunities to walk out the door, but in reality, um, you know, they don't. They're, you know, most of them are, are in fear that, uh, you know, if they leave, uh, you know, bad things will happen to them. Uh, you know, maybe they'll be sent back to where they came from. Um, I, I believe we, as we still work through the investigation. Um, some of us, not most of them, are, are promised, a, you know, a better life coming here and and then get forced in working in these spots. So, Sheriff, the the, the women who were working in these spots, um, are they uh, uh, getting help? The ones who were forced into this type of involuntary servitude, are they getting help or any type of assistance? Yeah, the night we did the uh, the search warrants, we brought our uh, Women's Advocacy Center uh, Turning Point along with us on, on all the search warrants, and uh, they were present when we were interviewing the, uh, you know, again, in these human trafficking and, and situations, they start out as defendants, and as you gain more information, you find out that they're going to become victims. Um, so in this, uh, in this situation, we know that three of the women uh, – were provided services, home, shelter, and safety by Turning Point. And this was not just your department. Many departments assisted because this spanned many counties and different states. Yeah, and this investigation, again, it started with our, our sheriff's enforcement team, but it continued to grow. You know, we needed additional help. And, you know, that's one of the best things here we have in, in Michigan is that all law enforcement agencies, whether it's the federal level, state level, county, Local, we all work together, you know, for the common good and and ridding out crime in our community. So uh, there was multiple agencies that helped over the year in the investigation. And then uh, the night of the search warrants, we had uh, multiple agencies assisting because we had to do so many locations. Well, it was like pulling on a loose thread. Next thing you know, you've got a whole network that you're bringing down, which is really great police work. Tell me, how did these women arrive in this human trafficking uh, network, uh, what was their path there, and and how do we short-circuit that? You know, what we've found, and, and again, still during the interview, was they're, they're reluctant to give us all the information, but uh, we did find that, that believe all of the women were here on work visas. So they were here legally? So they were here legally, Um okay. And, again, we believe that it was, you know, enticement of, you know, come to America for that better life. Uh, work in the spa is, a, is a, what we would believe is a legitimate uh, masseuse, um, but without proper training. And then once you're there, you're, you know, you don't get an hourly rate. You're, you're getting paid based on tips that you'll get on sexual acts that you perform on the claims. And sheriff, I understand. Like the the person who was arrested, the one person that was arrested, the woman was arrested inside a MGM uh, casino hotel room. Now, does MGM uh, do they have anything uh, to do with this? No, I wanted to make that clear. MGM was was not part of it. Um, we believe uh, through surveillance and information, uh, a lot of the proceeds uh, they would go to the casinos and spend their money. Uh, it just so happened that the night that we did the search warrants and we're looking for the suspects. Uh, we located uh, the individual at MGM Casino and that she did have a hotel room. Uh, so we did execute a search warrant on that, looking for additional information. 
And Chef, just to change topics a little bit, I I, I wanted to talk with you about the uh, mental health um, unit, uh, the part of the new jail that you guys are building in Macomb County that will deal with mental health. How is that coming along? Uh, we're we're moving uh, like gangbusters. Uh, we're we've got a couple more meetings to complete uh, by the end of this year in the next couple weeks, and then our architects go to work, uh, you know, designing the the prints and getting schematic design. So we are we're hoping um, we could have a product to present to the board to get approval um, by uh, fall of 2024 and, and get the project going. So. Uh, we're very excited here. Uh, you know, it's been long overdue. It's been almost uh, 18 year between uh, Mark Hackle and myself trying to to get something done and something changed with the Macomb County Jail. Yeah, that can be an absolute game changer, Sheriff. Um, congratulations on bringing down this network. Thanks for sharing the story, and uh, that's a big win going into the holidays. Thank you. Thank you very much. Everybody have a great holiday season. You as well, you too. Macomb County Sheriff Anthony Wickersham. I wanted to bring to your attention something. We've been kind of perplexed about this up, it, upswell of anti-Semitism on, on college campuses, the support for Hamas, where it comes from. Mark Penn is uh, was Bill Clinton's pollster. And Harvard Harris issued a poll yesterday of 18 to 24-year-old young people, not all of Gen Z, just part. And it shows, and this is just a this is just astonishing. Fifty percent support Israel. Fifty-one, fifty percent support not just Palestine; they support Hamas, a recognized terrorist organization. And they say that the uh, solution for what's happening in the Middle East is to give Israel to Hamas, to uh, basically uh, that Israel would cease to exist. Fifty-three uh, percent say. Imagine this now. say it's okay for students to call for genocide of Jews. Wow. That's a majority, 18 to 24-year-olds. 41% believes that Hamas rules democratically, that it's not authoritarian. 44% believe that Israel's not a democracy. And these people that would cancel you for not using the right pronouns say that Hamas lets gay people live together openly. Nope. I would suggest you try that. No. <laughs> They'll let you live openly once you're dead. Dead, yeah. Once you've been executed. Um, Mark Penn says he's never seen ignorance on a scale like this on a particular issue. He says they're listening to the wrong TikTok I- I- videos. They're in the wrong social media bubble. But that's just not alarming. It is dangerous. Welcome to Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. Uh, yeah, only six days left until the big guy in the red suit arrives. So uh, Everybody's I, eyes just jumped like, uh, oh, what? Okay, <laughs> I went to the packaging place to send off a, just a little two-pound package to uh-huh. the kids out in California, hoping to get it there by Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. $100 in shipping <sighs> if oh, I wow. wanted to send it. And I said, oh, this can be a New Year's gift. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! Uh, It was that was just a little ditty that I was sending them. Okay, well, we'll that's I waited. It just arrived. It was a thing that was delayed. So, uh, if you got stuff like that, hopefully it's closer than California. 
Uh, otherwise, it's going to break the bank. Uh, we always tell you, be careful of the overpasses. That was never more clear than yesterday. Telegraph Road, Redford Township. I know exactly uh, at where Plymouth. that is. Yeah, yes. and, let me, and folks hit it, started spinning. A woman named Bianca Barber, her car hit the wall. Then it was hit by another car and another and another and another. And she said she thought she was going to die. I undid her seatbelt, got her out. As soon as I got her out, the car smacked into us. We fell, and I was like, oh, my God. We were next to the wall. Did you think you were going to die up there? Then we thought we was going to be dead because once the car smacked, it pushed us down to the ground. It was two girls in front of me. I could tell they was like, it was in a shot. And I just kept telling them because she looked me in my eyes. I said, you got to get out the car. Get out. Get out. And she was just like panicking. I was like, get out. And all you could hear was. Bianca Barber speaking with local fours, uh, Mara McDonald uh, at 11 last night. I got to tell you, if you're in that situation, stay in your car. I know you, you. the instinct is to panic and to get out. Well, you're just a sitting duck in this you are, pile up. But you're a safer sitting duck in a car with crush zones and safety features than you are trying to weave your way through other cars, not knowing whether the pinballs are going to get you. Exactly. And if somebody else decides to slam into something and then they slam and then you fall off of the car and fall onto the freeway or the roadway. I I felt terrible for it. But there's a reason I shared. I'm not ridiculing her. I understand the panic. I truly do. Yeah. Uh, I've been in whiteouts where it's like, we got to get out of here. And you just have to steal yourself and say, no. Uh, lots of j- buzz these days about uh, Mich- <laughs> the city of Detroit's uh, most embattled couple, uh, Kwame yeah. Kilpatrick and Christine Beattie, uh, both making headlines. And uh, Christine Beattie with a pretty big interview. Yes, yeah, she did. Uh, former uh, Kwame Kilpatrick Chief of Staff Christine Beattie sat down with local forest Christy McDonald for a one-on-one interview that aired yesterday. She moved to Atlanta after the text message scandals between her and Kilpatrick and is now back living in Detroit and working as a program director for the Heat and Warmth Fund. That's Thaw. Beattie moved back in 2021 when her mother was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. She cared for her mother until August of this year when her mom passed away. It's been 15 years since the scandal, and Beattie was asked, why talk about it now? Because there were a few people, I think, questioning how I got my position at Thaw. And so the, the conversation really more is... So that people understand from me, you know, what's going on. I'm not a city official anymore. I'm not a public official. Um, but um, the work that Thaw does is important enough for me to, to clarify <laughs> for anybody how I got there and what I'm doing. And Guy, next hour we'll talk, uh, we'll hear from Beattie. And uh, she'll talk about the last time she spoke with the former mayor and also talk about that restitution she still owes to the city of Detroit. Well, and the few people she was talking about raising issues about her working at a nonprofit was M.L. Elric, the Pulitzer Prize Emmy Award winning (laughs) reporter, uh, who is going to be joining us uh, later on this morning as well to talk about that at 735, who says, look, whether you're talking about Christine Beatty or Kwame Kilpatrick, it's they, they say they've changed. He says, no, they haven't. They still owe restitution. And he says, you know, she was head of the Kilpatrick Civic Fund, which was That's also right. a nonprofit, riddled with corruption, ended up being a slush fund that they used it for their own extravagant lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So does she belong at a nonprofit? ML raises that question. Meantime, the Pope raising eyebrows yesterday, Jamie. That's right, Guy. Pope Francis formally approved letting Catholic priests bless same-sex couples. So this is a radical shift in policy aimed at making the church more inclusive, but it still maintains its strict ban on gay marriage. It's a document from the Vatican's Doctrine Office. 
and it elaborates on a letter Francis sent to two conservative cardinals in October. That was his preliminary response, and he suggested blessings could be offered under some circumstances as long as it wasn't confused with the ritual of marriage. This new document repeats that and elaborates, reaffirming that marriage is a lifelong union between a man and a woman. Now, some people are are saying this is great. This opens the door. It welcomes more people in the LGBTQ community. Others are saying absolutely not. This is against what we believe in. So, of course, you know, there's discrepancies in what people think about this. As as a Catholic myself, I am happy to welcome everyone into the church. Well, and, you know, wasn't that Jesus? uh, Yes. He said, let them come to me and everything. Yeah. and and yet there are those the conservative wing of the Catholic Church saying, "Look, this is a step towards rewarding sin," and uh, that and is what some people believe. That, that's, yeah. yeah, and that's and that's their belief, and they're mm-hmm. saying this is a kind of the, the the these are incremental steps that will lead to the full recognition of gay marriage, something that they oppose. I'm I'm with you on that. This it's is about, saying that is about not the marriage; it's between a man and a woman. This is a blessing, mm-hmm. and then some in the LBGTQ community are saying, "Well, it doesn't go far enough. We're still inferior." to heterosexual couples. The, uh, we, we discussed this yesterday, the big acquisition, uh, proposed acquisition of U.S. Steel. This would be like Toyota taking over GM, okay? <laughs> Imagine the, the, the ripples from that here. You've got Nippon Steel taking over U.S. Steel in Pittsburgh. Uh, but in the auto, automotive news this morning, uh, reporters talking with consultants and analysts who say this could actually be good for the automotive industry, which has seen huge steel price increase uh, ever since the tariffs and things like that. Um, they believe that this kind of specialty steel that the automotives are looking for could become more affordable under this arrangement. I don't know when you have two giants coming together. I, I look at that as saying on the face it's anti-competitive. Analysts are saying no. For the automotive sector specifically, this could be a good thing. Uh, the Lions not getting any help in terms of an automatic entry into the playoff no. picture. I'm not so sure that's a bad thing because it yeah. opens the door to something else. This is what we talked about yesterday. This is what Nick was saying. So Seattle won yesterday. So the Lions did not clinch a playoff spot. But they're still in the running for the second seed in the NFC because of all that. So how does it work? If the Lions went out and so do the Eagles, they'll have identical records at 13 and 4. But the Lions would have the tiebreaker. Not by playing each other, but having better record in common games. Lions are 5-1 and one in those common games. Eagles are 4-2. and two. So the Lions could jump the Eagles in that uh, respect. Now, the Lions could still get the one seed, okay, and mm-hmm. a first-round bye if the 49ers lose two of their final three games. Probably not. But they've got the Rams you're saying and the Ravens, yes. right? Yeah. And both those teams have, have been showing, uh, I mean, the Ravens are on fire. Yes. And the Rams have been showing some life. It could happen. Now, the Lions are going to tell you their goal at the beginning of the season was to win the division. They can do that this weekend in Minnesota, uh, the first time since 1993, yeah. and host a playoff game. That's what they're focused on. Let's just on. walk through the front door. Let's yeah. not go through exactly. the window and the back door. Earn it. Let's go through the front That's door. That's the Dan Campbell way. You yes. earn it. Yes. Uh, yeah, and that will break a 30-year drought. Meantime, a Lions season ticket holders getting a bit of a <laughs> surprise in the mail. <laughs> this is the invoice for, for next year. Uh, one lower bowl ticket holder saw invoices uh, increase 69%. A fan that sits at the club level will see a 59% increase. Success comes with a price. Demand is high. I mean, they yeah. already sold out season tickets this year. 
and now they're supposed to win the division, do all these things. Of course. All right. Nick Roddy, do you think that the Lions can get that by? You were the one yesterday saying, don't uh, be don't be rooting for the uh, for the Eagles yeah, I mean, and that automatic in. I agree with don't root for the Eagles. I mean, the 49ers have to lose two of their remaining three games. They play the Ravens and the Rams, so it's possible. But like Jamie says, that two seed comes with an extra home game, so. I'm all for that. So well, yeah, I, th- I think wouldn't we all have a lot more fun? I mean, a buy is nice, but more playoff games mm-hmm. in this starved town. Oh yeah. my goodness, uh, that'd be pretty good too. When we come back, uh, a major human trafficking bust out of Macomb County. You know, they say that prostitution is a victimless crime. Mm, wait till you hear what these victims went through. That's next on JR Morning at uh, six nineteen. Three women were charged. One arrested. Following a year-long human trafficking probe undertaken by sheriff's deputies out of Macomb County, which found an alleged prostitution ring that spanned state lines around the Midwest. A 52-year-old woman taken into custody. Two other female suspects have still not been arrested as of yesterday. Let's get the latest now with Macomb County Sheriff Anthony Wickersham, who joins us live on JR Morning. Good morning, Sheriff. Good morning. Are those uh, two other women, are they still uh, out at this point? Yes, um, we believe they had ties to, I think it was Chicago and Indiana. And so we're uh, communicating with uh, law enforcement officials in those areas to to help us uh, try to apprehend them and bring them back here to answer to the charges. How did you get uh, wind of this uh, rain? <clears throat> uh, this came in uh, just on a, a tip that this activity uh, may have been going on in one of the spots in Macomb County. And our deputies and our investigators then began the investigation, which uh, just continued to grow and to grow uh, over the year. There was a total of 54 search warrants that were completed um, to culminate the uh, the nine search warrants that were done at the time that we took all these individuals into custody. And Sheriff, what was happening in the spas that is illegal? Uh <clears throat> The workers were um, soliciting sexual acts, and, and through our investigation and information, pretty much they were, they were forced to solicit acts. Um, pay was uh, based on uh, how big a tip they would get uh, performing acts, and information also obtained was the fact that if they weren't producing, then they were moved either to another spot or another area. Um, so most of these women, um, as we said in the, in the press release and in the press conference yesterday I was talking about, um, they had no transportation. They were driven everywhere. Most of them had to sleep at the spas. Um, so really, they, they weren't free to go and, and do as they wanted. This was a, a form, Sheriff, of, of really in, almost indentured servitude, wasn't it? I mean, there's this notion that the, these women choose this life and that this is some in some ways a victimless crime. Speak to that because... This sounds more like slavery than it does a choice. Yeah, 100%, Guy. In these situations, you know, they're going to say, well, they're there for their own free will. You know, they're they're performing these acts, and, you know, they they have opportunities. You know, some will say they'll have opportunities to walk out the door, but in reality, um, you know, they don't. You know, most of them are are in fear that – you know, if they leave, uh, you know, bad things will happen to them. Uh, you know, maybe they'll be sent back to where they came from. Um, I, I believe we, as we still work through the investigation. Um, some of us, not most of them, are, are promised, a, you know, a better life coming here and and then get forced in working in these spots. 
So, Sheriff, the the, the women who were working in these spots, um, are they uh, uh, getting help? The ones who were forced into this type of involuntary servitude, are they getting help or any type of assistance? Yeah, the night we did the uh, the search warrants, we brought our uh, Women's Advocacy Center uh, Turning Point along with us on, on all the search warrants, and uh, they were present when we were interviewing the, uh, you know, again, in these human trafficking and, and situations, they start out as defendants, and as you gain more information, you find out that they're going to become victims. Um, so in this uh, in this situation, we know that three of the women uh, were provided services, home, shelter, and safety by Turning Point. And this was not just your department. Many departments assisted because this spanned many counties and different states. Yeah, and this investigation, again, it started with our, our sheriff's enforcement team, but as it continued to grow, you know, we needed additional help. And, you know, that's one of the best things here we have in, in Michigan is that all law enforcement agencies, whether it's the federal level, state level, county, local, we all work together, you know, for the common good and, and ridding out crime in our community. So uh, there was multiple agencies that helped over the year in the investigation and then uh, the night of the search warrants, we had uh, multiple agencies assisting because we had to do so many locations. Well, it was like pulling on a loose thread. Next thing you know, you've got a whole network that you're bringing down, which is really a great police work. T- tell me, how did these women arrive in, in this human trafficking uh, network? Uh, what was their path there? And, and how do we short circuit that? You know, what we've found, and, and again, still during the interview, was they're, they're reluctant to give us all the information, but uh, we did find that, that believe all of the women were here on work visas. So they were here legally? So they were here legally. Um, and, again, uh, we believe that it was, you know, enticement of, you know, come to America for that better life. Uh, work in the spa is, a, is a, what we would believe is a legitimate uh masseuse um, but without proper training and then once you're there you're you know you don't get an hourly rate you're you're getting paid based on tips that you'll get on sexual acts that you perform on the clients and sheriff i understand like the the person who was arrested the one person that was arrested the woman was arrested inside a mgm uh, casino hotel room now does mgm do they have anything uh to do with this no, I wanted to make that clear. MGM was was not part of it. Um, we believe uh, through surveillance and information, uh, a lot of the proceeds, uh, they would go to the casinos and spend their money. Uh, it just so happened that the night that we did the search warrants and we're looking for the suspects, uh, we located uh, the individual at MGM Casino and that she did have a hotel room. Uh, so we did execute a search warrant on that looking for additional information. And Chef, just to change topics a little bit, I, under, I, I wanted to talk with you about the uh, mental health um, unit, uh, the part of the new jail that you guys are building in Macomb County that will deal with mental health. How is that coming along? Uh, we're, we're moving uh, like gangbusters. Uh, we're, we've got a couple more meetings to complete uh, by the end of this year in the next couple weeks, and then our architects go to work uh, you know, designing the, the prints and getting schematic design. So we are we're hoping um, we could have a product to present to the board to get approval um, by uh, fall of 2024 and, and get the project going. So uh, we're very excited here. Uh, you know, it's been long overdue. It's been almost uh, 18 year between um, 
Mark Hackle and myself trying to, to get something done and something changed with the Macomb County Jail. Yeah, that can be an absolute game changer, Sheriff. Um, congratulations on bringing down this network. Thanks for sharing the story, and uh, that's a big win going into the holidays. Thank you. Thank you very much. Everybody have a great holiday season. You as well, you too. Macomb County Sheriff Anthony Wickersham. I wanted to bring to your attention something. We've been kind of perplexed about this up it, upswell of anti-Semitism on, on college campuses, the support for Hamas, where it comes from. Mark Penn is uh, was Bill Clinton's pollster. And Harvard Harris issued a poll yesterday of 18 to 24-year-old young people, not all of Gen Z, just part. And it shows, and this is just a, this is just astonishing. 50% support Israel, 51, 50% support not just Palestine, they support Hamas, a recognized terrorist organization. And they say that the uh, solution for what's happening in the Middle East is to give Israel to Hamas, to uh, basically uh, that Israel would cease to exist. Uh, 53% say, imagine this now, 53% say it's okay for students to call for genocide of Jews. Wow. That's a majority, 18 to 24-year-olds. Uh, 41% believes that Hamas rules democratically, that it's not authoritarian. 44% believe that Israel's not a democracy. And these people that would cancel you for not using the right pronouns say that Hamas lets gay people live together openly. Nope. I would mm-hmm. suggest you try that. No. <laughs> They'll let you live openly once you're dead. Dead, yeah. Once you've been executed. Um, Mark Penn says he's never seen ignorance on a scale like this on a particular issue. He says they're listening to the wrong TikTok I- I- videos. They're in the wrong social media bubble. But that's just not alarming. It is dangerous. In Texas, the governor is taking the law into his hands. Uh, immigration violators who would normally be handled by federal officers and the federal uh, Border Patrol. Uh, he's saying, no, we're going to do it through our courts now because there isn't a vigorous enough enforcement. And actually, uh, when you look at Border Patrol agents being overwhelmed 200 to 1, uh, and that's by their own admission, uh, they can't do the job. They need support. And so the state of Texas says it is going to do that. That will likely see a legal challenge. In the meantime, on Capitol Hill, they're trying to reach some kind of a resolution on this by uh, striking a compromise. The Biden administration willing to give on immigration, but are they giving enough that Republicans will line up and support support for Ukraine? Uh, both need to be done. Ryan Schmelz is watching all the latest of it as a Fox News radio correspondent and WJR contributor. Ryan, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? It is kind of not unprecedented, but somewhat rare that the Senate would delay its holiday break to do this. That would suggest that they think there's a prospect for a deal. Where are we? It's pretty rare to see the Senate doing this. Yeah. And and so right now we're having negotiations, closed door meetings happening constantly. There's a team of negotiators from the Republican side, a team of negotiators from the Democrat side, and they've been meeting behind closed doors, coming out and giving updates. But, you know, all, all the updates we hear really are just them saying, okay, well, we're making progress, but we don't really know what that progress looks like and if they're any closer to a deal, because it seems like they might be still very far apart. 
Ryan, I, I know uh, Chuck Schumer said that this is among the most difficult things we've done in, in recent memory, that they want to come to some type of uh, immigration system deal, but they can't compromise the values. Have you heard uh, from any other uh, senators that this is just really difficult to, you know, get a middle ground here? Oh, there certainly is. You know, Republicans are asking for changes to the asylum system. I mean, they would, they're obviously asking for a whole lot more, but they see the big victory here as this change to the asylum system where you make it more difficult for somebody to claim asylum if they're going to come into the country. Uh, but you have a pushback from more progressive members of the, of, of the conference on the Democrat side who are saying, that, wait, this is way too inhumane. We can't do this. We, we can't be compromising our values when it comes to immigration. So those are the different voices and different issues that they're facing when it comes to this, because also to keep in mind, even if they're able to come to an agreement on the policy changes for the border, they're still going to be conservatives also are going to say, well, wait a minute, why are we greenlighting $110 billion in new spending for money we don't have? So even if they're able to come to some type of agreement here, there's still going to be a long road ahead, especially when you still have to go through the House, which we have no indication that they're even going to take this up. Yeah, Ryan, the House doesn't come back till January 8th from everything that I read. So the sticking point, of course, is the border security. And meanwhile, the president is planning one more military aid package for Ukraine. And then that's it that they have authority to do. They need Congress after that. Yeah, certainly. And they are going to get some help because keep in mind that they did pass the National Defense Authorization Act, which is essentially the spending bill that green lights. Uh, how money can be spent for the military. And there is Ukraine and Israel aid attached to that, but not nearly as much as you're seeing in this package here. Ryan, um, we had Mike Rogers, U.S. Senate candidate, Republican on yesterday. Mm -hmm. He's also the former House uh, Intelligence uh, Committee chief. He said, you know, everybody says it's complicated. He goes, really, there is a simple solution here that could get us significantly closer to where we need to be, and that's remain in Mexico. And, and the, I mean, it, it was successful under the Trump administration. And other than the fact it has Trump's fingerprints on it, it is a workable policy that can be implemented quickly. Why is there such reluctance to embrace that? Well, yeah, Remain in Mexico has been has been something that Democrats have pushed back on. But it's also been something that Republicans have been advocating for really ever since Trump left office. And so the Republicans have this bill called H.R. 2, and it was a very extensive border policy package that Republicans passed uh, earlier in Congress through the House, and obviously the Senate was never going to take it up, and they have not even considered taking it up. But Republicans have been trying to take pieces of H.R. 2 and stick it into these border negotiations, and Remain in Mexico is a big one, but Democrats have just not been willing to budge on that issue. But could there be some type of middle ground that Democrats are willing to flirt with in order to get some of these things passed? I think that's what uh, James Lankford, the Oklahoma Republican who's leading these negotiations on the uh, Senate side, uh, is probably going to try to sneak through. Ryan, is it still time to you know get support to Ukraine before the their defense suffers and and they lose you know some of the gains they've made? Well, that's the big argument is how urgent really is this? You know, Democrats are making it seem that this is something that cannot wait. This needs to be passed this week and it needs to be uh, sent back to the House by the time they come back. But there have been other you know, Republicans who've said that they believe that th this is not as urgent of a need as what's been said 
by certain Democrats. And, you know, when Vladimir Zelensky was here, the president of Ukraine, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were kind of told that was something that he did not talk about. He did not talk about timelines and how quickly he needed those things. And they believe some of that had to do with politics of this whole Ukraine uh, battle that goes on in Congress. Something that we're not talking about much is the aid to Israel and all of this and what that would mean and how much that would be. Yeah, no, certainly. I, I, you do. What's interesting is that the House has already passed an Israel aid package. The only problem is their decision with how they decided to pay for it uh, ticked off a lot of Democrats. Essentially, they wanted to offset that $15 billion by cutting that funding from the IRS instead. Uh, and that was something that was never going to fly with Democrats. So, you know, there's been this thought that there could be a separate Israel aid package that could be put on the floor at some point by the House that does not include the IRS pay for. Uh, but we haven't really seen any progress on that. And we're not really hearing anything on the Senate side when it comes to just separating Ukraine, uh, Israel funding altogether and just voting on it separately. It just doesn't seem like that's something Schumer wants to do. Just a minute left, Ryan, but I know there's a lot of skepticism and uh, some concern that even if we do reach a deal, that a lot of House members say we won't have the time to fly spec it and look over it. And we would rather delay the Ukraine aid a little bit to get a deal that we have faith in. Yeah, no, I mean, that's something that's being discussed on the Senate and House side. You know, one thing that was interesting that some Republican senators were bringing up right before they broke for last weekend uh, was saying, well, wait a minute, you're asking us to put a very comprehensive immigration and border security bill on the floor, and then you want us to vote for it within a week. You know, that's not nearly enough time to be reviewing something that extensive with that many different layers to yeah. it. So that that's something that gets brought up quite a lot. And, and I think John Cornyn, who's a senator from Texas, I, I kind of asked him that question, which was, you know, uh, how much time do you think you need to look this over? And he said, more than a week. Yeah. He <laughs> so, says, we don't like the feeling that we're being jammed up on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not one of those, well, pass it and then we'll figure out what's in it moments. That didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't work with Obamacare. It wouldn't work with this either. Ryan, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. Hey, have a good one, guys. Thank you so much. And it is December 19th, 2023. Uh, Santa is uh, loading the sleigh as we speak. And uh, thank goodness he's not charging as much as FedEx wanted to charge me yesterday. <laughs> Holy man. Uh, we welcome you and do be careful out on the uh, expressways, especially the overpasses. We saw a major accident on I-94 yesterday on Telegraph Road. It was shut down uh, for four or five hours. That was, a, I think, two dozen car Pile up. Scary. Yeah, big time. And I got to tell you, uh, maybe the the, the most, (laughs) the biggest threat, because most of the roads have been treated now, there are a lot of sidewalks out there that as you're walking about, if you're heading uh, out to do any shopping, run any errands, uh, don't run, walk carefully. Well, Sasha pulled me this morning. I was sliding on the, <laughs> she was pulling me down the street. Oh, she did the reindeer thing. <laughs> you yeah. have a little dog, Lloyd. Come on. She's strong. Believe me, Sasha okay. is strong. But man. you're a big man. I'm telling you, it was slippery out on, uh, on, the, on the road. The uh, the uh, sidewalk was slippery, and then you cross the street, the the in the cul-de-sac there, it's slippery as well. Maybe we'll get treated. Lloyd an old pair of golf shoes with metal cleats <laughs> for Christmas so so Sasha won't be dragging him around the neighborhood. Oh, Lord. So, yeah, do be careful uh, out there. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking uh, with the uh, higher, higher ticket prices, uh, maybe as much as a 68% increase for season ticket holders for the Lions. 
a victory coming with a pretty steep price, but you, are you getting what you pay for? I think. Yeah, I if think you're watching you a ten win team so far, and who yeah. knows what's ahead. And we're so starved here. Uh, no, you know, no, no question. <laughs> and and so's the team. The team has been waiting probably a long time. Um, by the way, as you're heading out today, uh, gas prices in the state of Michigan have fallen. Uh, the AAA Michigan average two ninety three a gallon. Um, that is a full fifteen cents below the national average. Uh, but with the Houthi rebels attacking ships in the Gulf, BP saying it's no longer sh- well. It said it's no longer shipping. Um, there were there were indications that they are still sending some tankers through the Red Sea, but that could have a dramatic turnaround on that. So before you go to Grandma's house, you might want to gas up today. Yeah, I paid oh. two fifty yesterday. I have not wow. seen a two yet. Y- yeah, well, yeah. When we were coming up from the airport on Sunday, uh-huh. uh, we saw it all the way up Telegraph Road through Dearborn Heights and Dearborn. Uh, but long term. Uh, the Biden administration yesterday, uh, or I should say on Friday, finalized its lease sale plan. There will only be three lease sales for offshore leases in the Gulf of Mexico from now until 2029. That's the fewest number of sales ever included in such a plan. The National Ocean Industries Association, which represents both traditional and renewable offshore energy producers, said the White House simply ignores energy realities by once again limiting U.S. energy production opportunities. So these prices have fallen, uh, not because of the Biden administration, but in spite of it, producers are producing to pre-pandemic highs again. But long-term, when you have this kind of restriction, uh, there becomes a question mark. Christine Beattie making headlines again and um, questions about whether she should be working for a nonprofit, giving her past history. Well, former uh, Kwame Kilpatrick Chief of Staff Christine Beattie sat down with local force Christine McDonald for a one-on-one interview that aired yesterday. She moved to Atlanta after the text message scandals between her and Kilpatrick and is now back living in Detroit, working as a program director for the Heat and Warmth Fund, or THAW. Beattie was asked when was the last time she spoke with the former mayor. It's been a while. We we're not we don't we don't have any kind of a relationship, so we're not friends or anything. So it's been a, it's been a minute. It's been a couple of years. Was yeah. it when he was incarcerated? Yeah, it was before. I mean, once since he's been home, there's been a couple of since years since he's been home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just a couple you know, of years. congratulations and yeah. yeah, you know. But we don't we don't have any kind of a relationship, so we don't speak. Beatty was also asked where she was when it comes to paying back one hundred thousand dollars in restitution to the city of Detroit. So part of my restitution, and I was on probation for the five years, um, was to pay restitution, which I did. You know, during that entire time, please rest assured, when <laughs> I want to pay every dime of my restitution, and I just I don't want that hanging over my head. Beatty says she still owes about seventy eight thousand in restitution. Her lawyer telling Local Four that they have paperwork that shows that she still has debts and can't pay at this time she declared bankruptcy when she was in atlanta and now working for thaw though she'll have some income to pay and let me say thank you to local four for that christine Beatty audio yeah and good work by christy mcdonald um coming up at seven we're going to talk to ml elric who uh, of course uh, won a pulitzer covering christine Beatty and kwame kilpatrick through that scandal he's got some very pointed things to say about the supposed reformation of these two somewhat notorious characters mm-hmm. uh, in the city of Detroit. Um, we were yeah, we were kind of torn last night in the Eagles-Seahawks uh, game. Yes. You know, a Seahawks <laughs> uh, win gives us a chance for maybe a bye. An Eagles win made it automatic. So, yeah, if the Eagles would have, or if the Seattle Seahawks would have lost, the Lions would have made the playoffs. So that's something. But 
since Seattle won, the Lions did not clinch a playoff spot. They're still in the running for that second seed in the NFC. If you're wondering how it all works, the Lions went out, so do the Eagles. The Lions and the Eagles have the same record, but the Lions have the tiebreaker when it comes to common games, so they would be ahead of the Eagles. Lions, you know, could still get that one seed first round by a couple playoff games uh, if the 49ers lose two of their final three games. Unlikely, but you're saying there's still a chance there. There is. Yeah, quoting Jim Carrey. Um, but, but I got to tell you, just went out. Yeah, Dan, Dan Campbell, you know, go through the fin- front door. It up. Make this a, a, a win out. And it starts with winning the division. If you beat Minnesota this weekend, you win the division. Something you haven't done since 93. You could really raise a real banner in Ford yeah. Field. Yes. And we're not going to see Dobbs. Uh, Nick Mullen's going to be starting for the Vikings. Uh, so it's looking good. second yep. start. Um, yep. I think he put up 300 yards in passing, but still lost to the to the Bengals. So we'll see. It's still an untested talent, and we'll take that little advantage. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But uh, so went out and then root for the Ravens and the Rams. They're the two teams that uh, the Niners face that probably have the best chance to beat. Correct. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we know where we are in that. Uh, Time for WJR's Business Beat. Here's Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation, to spotlight the entrepreneurial tech and startup community here on WJR. Morning. Good morning, Guy. For those of us who are parents to teenage kids, Most of us find ourselves constantly battling with the challenge of losing our kids to social media. And now a new report from Pew Research Center, Teen Social Media and Technology 2023, makes clear that almost half of U.S. teens are using social media, as they put it, almost constantly. Specifics from the report are as follows. First, while almost all teens have equal access to smartphones now, over half of Hispanic, 55%, and black, 54% teens are using the Internet almost constantly compared to 38% of white teens. 66% of teen girls use Instagram, as they put it, almost constantly, as they do TikTok as well. Teen boys, however, they're more likely to use Twitch or Discord. Now, it's YouTube, however, that reigns supreme amongst teens, with roughly 90% of teens saying they use the video-sharing platform almost constantly. YouTube also ranked as the most visited social media app by teens as well. And how about this stat? Roughly 70% of teens are visiting YouTube every day. Of course, these statistics on social media usage by teens are relevant to the interests of businesses, especially those catering to a younger demographic, However, there's a more important point here, and that is the overwhelming and all-consuming nature of how social media has hijacked our kids' hearts and minds, certainly their attention, and have made this the world in which they now live. Of course, this has raised all sorts of mental health concerns about the potential threats social media is posing to kids. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, and that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. Well, we know the roads are something we love to hate here in the state of Michigan, but they are getting better. That's been documented, uh, even though, depending on where you are, it may not always seem like it. Now, we have, we're just 10th, barely, in the top 10 for total lane miles. And yet, boy, did we get a great piece of the pie in the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law that was passed. That money's been doled out. And there's some really, really good news here. I'm going to let Zach Kalodin uh, break the news on just how large the piece of the pie was we got. And I guess, Zach, as chief infrastructure officer for the state of Michigan, my question is, 
how did you wrestle that away from the other (laughs) top 10 states? (laughs) Yeah, so today we're talking about safe streets and roads for all, uh, which is the bipartisan infrastructure laws program that helps communities plan to make safer communities and also install road upgrades to improve the safety of their communities. So Michigan pulled down $65 million, and it's really a testament to our communities. You know, Michigan communities understand that folks don't want to come downtown, you know, use the amenities, the shopping if they don't feel safe. Uh, You know, they don't want to settle their families in a community if the roads are too dangerous. And they're really investing in figuring out solutions to uh, make the roads safer and, and and make more pleasant communities. So it's really a testament to them. Okay, but you buried the lead there, friend. I mean, we got the second largest piece of the pie. That's exactly right. $65 million uh, for Michigan communities, more than any other state. And, um, you know, this this is a, it's a great win for Mich- any other state except California. And it's a great win for our communities to improve our roadways, reduce accidents, and save lives. Yeah, and Zach, a, a nice chunk of that went to the city of Detroit to increase some safety and, and, and access to, to bus stops. That's exactly right. So we've got uh, city of Detroit with almost $25 million, city of Dearborn with almost $25 million. And yeah, in the city of Detroit, what you're going to see is uh, around 56 high uh, accident intersections, improvements to pedestrian safety, uh, improved access to bus stops, really just a more comfortable road experience. In the city of Dearborn, you'll see Warren Avenue, which uh, runs right through the heart of Dearborn. Uh, you know, sort of a road diet with uh, narrowing of the, of the lanes, protected bike lanes, and uh, overall just a more safe feel. And then almost $16 million for communities to sort of plan for traffic safety. And what that does is enable them to uh, to go after these dollars again in the future and get implementation dollars. What about fixing the potholes and everything that was a priority for the governor? Does Is that included at all in this? So this is a competitive award. This is something that our communities went out and, you know, they, they competed against communities across the country and won. We get the dollars for fixing our potholes, uh, mostly by virtue of just having the roads and maintaining them. And Michigan has received $5 billion uh, uh, over the course of the bipartisan infrastructure law for you know, fixing potholes, updating the roads, uh, just making sure our road and bridge network is, uh, you know, is safe and secure. You know that there are folks commuting in right now who hear the term road diet and they go, wait, you mean you're going to get rid of a lane on a road that I'm already waiting too long in? Tell me about how that works from from an engineering standpoint, because I know that can be a misnomer. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. Uh, a ro- I think the term road diet is a misnomer. And, you know, what we're really talking about is right sizing roads for the communities that use them. You know, if you're if you're in a lot of places, a road is, you know, the centerpiece of a community. And, you know, it's it can be for driving from place to place, but also for folks to walk across, get to restaurants, you know, use the community. So a road diet recognizes that and uh, generally incorporates elements that are better accommodate bike travel, uh, pedestrian travel, and just make for kind of a, a more sane experience on the roads. You know, uh, folks are on their morning commutes. It's a useful reminder that the leading cause of death among Michiganders under 45 is a traffic accident. 
And a road diet often recognizes that, it takes a roadway that, uh, you know, that is maybe on the more dangerous side and, and reins it in, uh, saving lives. So, for instance, Warren Avenue does not need to be five lanes. Is that the that, idea? I, yeah, I mean, that is that is what Mayor Hamoud has uh, judged, and I can't disagree with him. So with this, uh, these funds, will we be seeing more roundabouts in Michigan communities? You know, a roundabout is is a safe way to calm a dangerous intersection. I uh, I think it really depends on the community. So, you know, we've got communities from Wayne, Westland, Mount Clemens, Novi, Pontiac, Saginaw, uh, all across the state uh, that are making plans to improve the safety of the roads, and they very well could include roundabouts. You know, they could include, uh, you know, maybe taking a lane away in places or sort of creating bump outs for pedestrians to uh, more safely access the access and intersection. Zach, while we've got you here, help me with that, because we reported a couple of weeks ago when the uh, when the list came out of the most, not the most dangerous necessarily in terms of injuries, but the most crash prone intersections. I think five mm-hmm. out of the top six in southeast Michigan were all roundabouts. I know that there was a learning curve there. We anticipated that there would it would take some time for motorists to adapt why aren't we adapting? <laughs> uh, well, I guess what I would say is there there are different kinds of crashes that can occur on a road, right? Um, some crashes are, are minor. They'll, you know, you get a dent in your door and some crashes can unfortunately uh, end lives. And a, what a roundabout does is slow people down and, uh, you know, make it so that if there is an accident, it's much less severe and, you know, you can eventually go on about the rest of your life. Um, I think I think that is the main message, right? We are protect, protecting the lives of drivers and pedestrians. Um, and, you know, a roundabout can be a, a useful way to do that. So we're willing to tolerate more accidents at these intersections to reduce the severity of them. You know, I wouldn't say I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that. I would just say that that is that is the functional purpose of a roundabout is to uh, keep traffic moving and reduce the severity of accidents. Isn't it may it, be that there's a learning curve and maybe there's something that we can do to yeah. to improve. Any talk of, you know, like a PSA campaign or, or you know, just kind of a, a quick tutorial. That... Yeah, I mean, per, perhaps uh we can talk, you know, we can talk to the Department of Transportation. Perhaps the uh, perhaps the signaling can be improved. I think that's definitely something to look at. Great. I think $65 million coming to the state of Michigan in any way is good for our infrastructure. And this is a big coup. Yeah, we're, we're delighted. And again, the credit goes out to the communities, to, uh, you know, to Mayor Hamoud, to Mayor Duggan to uh, Amy O'Leary, who runs the Southeast Michigan Council of Governments, and to the 13 other uh, governments around the state of Michigan that are investing in their, the safety of their road infrastructure. And while we have you, Zach, just give us a quick look ahead to 2024 um, and mm. the amount of money that's in the budget for road improvement. What can we reasonably expect? We have a minute left. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh well, I, I think we can expect that the governor will be laser focused on fixing the damn roads. And, you know, that 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 will certainly mean uh, continued funding for infrastructure. Uh, it could mean continuation of the Rebuilding Michigan Bond Program, which has been focused on 
uh, improving the condition of our highest volume roads, and making mm-hmm. sure that you know freight and people can get across the state, uh, you know, safely and securely. Um, so yeah, I think we're lo- we're looking at more of that, and we'll certainly look at uh, additional opportunities to win bipartisan infrastructure law funding, Inflation Reduction Act funding, and CHIPS funding in order to continue to drive Michigan into the future. Zach Halodin, we thank you for your time, and congratulations on this big win for Michigan infrastructure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, take care. And as a footnote, we should point out one of the Republicans' biggest complaints for this latest budget is that roads weren't a higher priority. Because there were a few people... because there were a few people, I think, questioning how I got my position at Thaw. And so the, the conversation really more is so that people understand from me, you know, what's going on. I'm not a city official anymore. I'm not a public official. Um, but um, the work that Thaw does is important enough for me to, to clarify <laughs> for anybody how I got there and what I'm doing. That's former uh, Chief of Staff under Kwame Kilpatrick, Christine Beatty, who, of course, was embroiled in that scandal 15 years ago, explaining to local force Christy McDonald while she, why she's coming forward now and surfacing to explain why she's working at this nonprofit. And, and those few people, well, they're in this room, and there was another very significant one that she was addressing there. Those few people asking questions, what's that about? is our next guest. M.L. Elric is an Emmy Award-winning, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter for the Detroit Free Press, who, of course, uh, unearthed all of the corruption in that administration. And he's got some thoughts on uh, the resurfacing of both. Mike, good morning. Uh, Good morning, everybody. How are you today? We're great, man. It's good to hear from you. We got your text when we were talking to Kwame. We asked him about it. Uh, You you knew the answer because whether it's Christine or Kwame, it's meet the new Kwame, same as the old Kwame in your mind. Well, it's it's not just in my mind. I mean, these are the facts. These, these These are people who drove the city into bankruptcy, ruined people's careers while they were cutting city jobs, 4,000 jobs, cutting pay and benefit for city workers, laying off police and firefighters. They were hiring their friends and their family, and they were giving them prodigious raises. At the same time, they were slashing the pay and the benefits of people who were actually serving the people of Detroit. And after all of this, after 15 years, after failing to pay the restitution they agreed to pay to avoid a trial on some pretty serious charges, they keep peddling the false narrative that all we did wrong was have an affair and lie at it. Let me just tell you, as I've said many times over the past 20 years, I don't care who you're screwing. Just don't screw the taxpayer. And they screwed the taxpayer, and now they're trying to gaslight it. The truth is they have not changed, and it's a shame. ML, did you see the uh, interview yesterday on Local 4? And if you did, what did you think about it? So I, I did watch the, uh, the half-hour um, interview with Christy McDonald. And let me just say this. I have tremendous respect for Christy McDonald as a journalist and as someone who's lost a loved one to cancer. So I, I really feel terrible that she was used by uh, by Thaw's PR person, by Christine Beatty. And and the way, reason I say she was used is the last thing she says in that interview to Christine Beatty is, thank you for your transparency. Well, here's, here's the truth. The only reason Christine Beatty is coming forward now is because the free press contacted her and Thaw 
to say, why did you hire Christine Beatty? What is she doing? And we invited Christine to tell her story, the story that, uh, that could have been whatever she wanted to tell us. Instead, she ducked, she dodged, and then she looked for someone who she thought was going to give her a soft landing. That's what she's done for over 20 years. It's what she's still doing. And it's a shame, but, uh, but what can I tell you? We started off by saying, have they changed? I say they haven't. This is exhibit A. We could go through Z, but I know you're only going to be on the air for a few hours, so we can leave it at <laughs> now. Uh, ML, I did not see the Christine Beatty interview, but I was here for the Kwame Kilpatrick interview. Uh, you have the background that perhaps I don't have. Fact-checked what he said to us. You know, he said he, he has paid restitution. Okay, so here's the fact check. That's not true. Um, he paid a little bit of restitution on the state charges, and of course, he was sent back to jail when the judge determined that instead of paying the restitution he owed, he was still living large. Uh, in the federal case, where the feds are being very vigilant about trying to get some of the millions of dollars he owes in restitution, uh, the only money that has really come in from him didn't come in from him. It was money that the feds seized from safes and other places, bank accounts where Bobby Ferguson had lots of cash. Mm -hmm. Because the two of them were considered equally culpable, uh, the restitution order covered both of them. And so really the only money that's come in that defrayed Kilpatrick's restitution bill, the only significant money that's came in was actually Bobby Ferguson's money. So, I mean, everything the man says, and God bless him, he says it well, so he gets away with it just isn't true. And, and that's and what, a $7 million tab, ML? Well, there's a bunch of them. Um, there was more than a million dollars owed uh, as part of the, uh, the racketeering case. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars owed because of uh, uh, SEC violation with uh, some pension deals. And then there's also the matter of uh, a lawsuit where he was sued and Bobby was sued by a black contractor who said, you cost me millions of dollars by rigging bids and giving the work to Bobby Ferguson when he wasn't the guy who, uh, who deserved it. So, I mean, he's wherever you look, there's somebody trying to get restitution from Kilpatrick. And then of course, wherever else you look, there's Kilpatrick trying to get money from us to continue to support his lavish lifestyle. It's just, it's, it's unconscionable. But uh, like I said, uh, has he changed? There's exhibit B. No, he hasn't. ML, uh, well, the prosecutor, is prosecutor Kim Worthy going to get back involved in this when it comes to the restitution that they owe the city of Detroit? Yes. Uh, Kim Worthy's uh, uh, staff has told me that they're planning to file motions with the court to resume the restitution payments from Kwame Kilpatrick and Christine Beatty. Uh, an interesting thing with Christine, who spent a year in law school, she says she didn't understand how restitution works. Well, I think if she's as smart as, as we know she is, that doesn't pass the sniff test. And the other thing is she said in 2016 when she was promoting her radio show and a TV series she was in that as soon as she got good jobs again, she'd start to resume restitution payments. Well, she's had a good job with Thaw for over two years now, no restitution payments. So again, there's the statements, there's what we want to believe, because we believe in redemption. And then there's the facts, which is people using our better will against us to try and convince them there's something they are not. Well, and, and that's, I, that gets to the heart of it. You and I both believe in second chances, and we want to believe in redemption. She's now working for a nonprofit. She had history with a nonprofit, that being the Kilpatrick Civic Fund 
And as you point out in your column, ML, that didn't end well. No. When when Christine Beattie has had access to public funds or to people who are trying to get public funds in the shape of contracts, there have been demands for payment. There has been money put into funds that were supposed to benefit regular people that ultimately have benefited her and Kwame Kilpatrick and their friends and family. Now, I'm not saying that she's embezzling from Thaw. I'm not saying that she's doing anything inappropriate with Thaw. What I have said and what is true is that Kwame Kilpatrick and Christine Beattie hired a lot of high school friends. Christine Beattie now works for Thaw because her high school friend, Santiel Jenkins, who I hold in very high esteem, hired her when she needed a job. This looks like the friends and family plan all over again. Santiel told me it's not. I guess we'll have to take her at her word. But she also acknowledged that when they first hired Christine Beattie, she can't remember whether anybody interviewed her. So one has to wonder, what is the screening process? And were other people who might have been suitable candidates passed over so a longtime friend could get a job that she desperately needed? Right. And now the question is, is there suitable oversight to make sure? And and, and we, we by no means in any way want to erode the support for Thaw. It does incredibly good work in this community. And uh, but there she should be answering those questions. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is when you hire somebody like Christine Beattie, who has a, a very troubled track record, and you have an organization that gets millions of dollars in taxpayer money and millions of dollars in donations from people, quite frankly, like me, we want to make sure that money is yeah. not going to people who we don't think are good actors. And when you hire somebody like that, you should be cognizant of the fact that their presence on the payroll may discourage some donors. When I asked Santiel about that, she said it never occurred to her. And I think that's unfortunate. ML Ulrich. We thank you for your time. I wish you wouldn't sugarcoat it so much, friend. Uh, I know. You know. Uh, and well, we, if, if you want sugar in the morning, get corn pops. Just... <laughs> <laughs> now we swore off those. But that's why uh, we seek out people like you uh, to put some spice on our Cheerios uh, this morning. And also call those out that need to be called out and to raise the questions that need answers. And you provide answers as well as questions. ML, thanks so much. Thanks for everything you guys do, and have a great holiday. You do, too. Take care. ML Ulrich, you can check him out in the free press. A very good column there, uh, even expanding on what we've talked about here. When we come back, if you're a Detroit Lions fan, a season ticket holder, ooh, get ready for a little sticker shock. Quality and success comes with a price. That's next on JR Morning at 749. Well, the Eagles didn't do it. For us, and that's okay. Uh, Seahawks prevailed 2017 last night in Monday Night Football, and that means the door opens just a crack for the the Lions to uh, win out the rest of the season. And uh, with some uh, losses by the 49ers, we could see maybe a bye. Actually, I'd like to see a playoff game. Uh, but a bye, Duh. But, a, but but getting for deeper <laughs> into the playoffs would be nice. A yeah, playoff too. win would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the cost of this privilege of going to a Lions game is going to be a pretty penny going forward because some uh, season ticket holders have seen their invoices for 2024. WJR Senior Sports Analyst Steve Courtney joining us live with that story. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Guy, Lloyd, Jamie. Hello again, everyone. 
This chat brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Forward down the field, you know the W's are stacking up. Tough night for the winged wheelers last night, but they're okay. My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each and every day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their TrueView inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Uh, yeah, in recent history, let me just say this. The Lions have not been good. I'll just throw out a name. Matt Patricia. I'm just saying. Uh, who, by the way, was calling the Eagles defense last night and they lost. <laughs> <laughs> he just got the reins, too. Yeah, when they the took defense. the sideline shot, he was like, Matt Patricia? Question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, um, but here's the thing. Uh, success comes with a price, doesn't it? Uh, and Lions season ticket holders are finding that out in short order, according to all sorts of reports yesterday. Uh, the renewal bills are coming with an increase. Uh, now, in the upper deck, for example, two season ticket holders sent bills that reflect more than an 80% increase uh, from this year. Uh, the increases in the lower bowl and club level are a bit smaller, but still rather significant. One lower bowl uh, ticket holder uh, had an invoice from 2022 and 2023 that reflect a 69% increase, while a uh, fan who sits in the club level will see a 59% increase. So uh, here's the deal. Uh, because they have been a little woeful uh, recently, uh, the Lions have pretty much kept the season ticket prices um, at where they've been. Uh, now uh, they are going to uh, go in a different direction. Uh, you're talking about a club, the Lions, uh, that have won uh, 10 of their first 14 games. And they are in fine shape uh, to get the job done and uh, win a division title for the first time since 1993. How do they go about that? Well, it just so happens they'll be in the land of 10,000 lakes Sunday afternoon, uh, Christmas Eve, uh, for a tilt against the Purple People Eaters, <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings. A win there, and uh, they are indeed division champs. Now, the problem is also this. Fort Field, one of the league's smallest venues, capacity of 65,000 uh, before standing room tickets are released. And uh, for the first time in history, we know this, the Lions sold out season tickets ahead of what is going to be a prolific season, that being 2023. So, uh, listen, uh, I don't think it's uh, much of a surprise to the season ticket holders. The fear is this, though, folks. Uh, there have been... Uh, what I'll refer to is the lunch pail crowd, um, the blue collars yeah. that have had Lions mm-hmm. season tickets for a long, long time. And it's really their only luxury, Steve, in many in many instances. Yeah, guy, you're right. And and uh, they have been there through thick and thin. Through 0-16. Oh. <laughs> well, and it, it goes on and on. And you, aside from the 0-16, James, um, this team has been uh, not good until the Dan Campbell era. Uh, and we have the glimmer of hope, obviously. And my fear is, is that with these increases, how many of the diehards are you going to price out? And uh, to me, that would be incredibly sad. I mean, the, the Lions once had the lowest price of admission of any NFL team. So it's been low for a long time. Well, they had to because uh, there for a while, uh, if you went to the airport, for a flight and you parked there and you came back there was four lions tickets on your windshield <laughs> <laughs> so uh there's a there, there's a reason for this that and I, and I understand 
that when you've got success, uh, the byproduct is it's going to cost more to see the act, right? So um, the problem there is, again, uh, is that you've got to respond. And the thought has been that the NFC North, based on what Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell have been up to, the NFC North will go through Detroit for a while because it's the way the club has been built. Um, so it's uh, six of this and half a dozen of the other. Um, but if you're a longtime Lions season ticket holder, and like I say, the lunch pail group, I uh, certainly hope you're still able to support this team. I think this is what happens when teams get good. If you think about going to a 49ers game or a Steelers game when they were good, it's expensive. The NFL ticket is expensive and hard to take a family to. Well, because uh, not only are you paying for the ticket, you are paying for parking. You are also, Mm -hmm. you know, paying for concessions. And, uh, you know, Lord knows they're not giving beer away and, uh, you know, hot dogs and soda and, you know, everything else. So um, it is uh, part of what's going on uh, in uh, modern day sport. And I guess you could make the argument that it's been going on for a while. Um, But again, to their credit, uh, the Lions uh, held everything at bay, knowing that the product was terrible. We had the third most affordable fan experience in the NFL. Only the Arizona Cardinals and the Cincinnati Bengals uh, priced themselves lower uh, than the Detroit Lions. Even when you add in the hot dog, the beer, and the soda, which I always drink my kids' beer. I, I Yeah, yeah that's I, nice I, of you. So, yeah. <laughs> when they can't finish. Uh, exactly. And I usually eat their hot dog, too. But that's, uh, you know, so they, we've, been, uh, we've been very fortunate for years and years in terms of fan affordability. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, they, you know, based on success, uh, that was going to change. And, and by golly, it is. But getting back to this Lions team, with that Eagles loss last night, uh, right now the uh, Lions at 10-4 and four, uh, in a tie with the Dallas Cowboys, who are at 10-4, and four, and the 49ers on top at 11-3, and three, all of a sudden the Eagles, they are 10-4. Uh, and four. So, you know, Fasten your uh, seatbelts here and uh, prepare for some turbulence in the last three weeks of the season. Yeah. Uh, still up against a yet-to-be-truly-tested quarterback in the Vikings. Apparently, they're going to start Nick Mullins, who was a little bit better, especially in throwing to Addison and Jefferson uh, last weekend. Uh, but certainly not as mobile as, as Josh Dobbs. And, and Bring it. Bring yeah, it. They're right. not worried. Nope. We'll, we'll take every I advantage we can get. Uh, Steve, thanks so much. All right, you guys have a wonderful day, huh? We sure will, yeah, and then then prepare for that sticker shock. Uh, When we come back at 819, we're going to be talking about religious freedom, uh, a Michigan family winning a big case there, and your headlines next. You hope your Tuesday's off to a good start. We know you're kind of under the gun as you uh, as you look at Christmas and Christmas Eve approaching, and all of us are running around uh, like chickens trying to get those last-minute items crossed off our list, and uh, I'm no different. So many things that I've ordered have not shown up on the That's date the they were supposed to. That's the problem with online shopping. I, I know. But, you well, know, but I no, just... these are things that one of them I got at the mall. And they didn't have it in stock. And they oh. said, I can get it for you by, hmm, well, it's hmm plus two. Uh, it, it seems like the crowds, and maybe it's where I'm going, but it seems like the crowds are not as large 
as we get closer to Christmas, as they have been in the no past. Because way. of online shopping. <laughs> you're, you're right. I mean, I, I found it uncomfortably easy to find a parking space yeah. at the mall. It, it, it kind of bummed me out, actually, <laughs> because it said how hard they are. And there was a notable uh, lower yeah. foot traffic. So, yeah, do think of those. I love them all. I, yeah, I do, too. Yeah. I just love I, it. I, and Shout I, out Somerset. I, I was at, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was at Somerset, and I ran into Bob Seeger, and he was like, I, I just don't know what to get my wife. And he was like, dude, we're, we've all been there. Yeah. And I had, I, I can't remember, I had a suggestion from him. He's like, I'm going to check that out. He was off and gone. <laughs> but uh, no, it's uh, everybody's getting in the holiday spirit, and, and that's a good thing. And we will be on Thursday uh, when we're going to start up Nation. We're going to have our first annual uh, JR Morning uh, holiday party, and we hope that you'll join us for that 6 to 9. And uh, a lot of our uh, regular guests, a lot of our favorite people are going to be there, and uh, we'll be sharing the holiday spirit with you. That's come Thursday, bright and early, 6 o'clock in the morning, and our thanks to Startup Nation for giving us a an easy place to party down. Yes. This studio is just a little too small. <laughs> right, for, for the we... big plans we have. Yeah, That's right. Exactly, and it's really a celebration of uh, our beginnings on this show, uh, this team that we've got here Some that we additions love. you have this Yes, year. yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, it's all of that, so... We hope you'll join us for that. Meantime, um, just as as Israel works its way through, we have the discovery of this massive tunnel, an extraordinary story, and also just how complicated this fight is. Mm. I heard yesterday from a paratrooper who said, yes, this was a horrible thing with these soldiers shooting and killing uh, the hostages that they were there to rescue. And he said, what and he, it struck me, he said, what should have been one of our greatest triumphs, the rescue of three hostages, turn into one of the greatest tragedies. But he said, you don't understand. Every time th- these soldiers move into an area, they're getting hit with booby traps. They're getting hit with, uh, with they're being baited with people that are supposed to be hostages. And so he said, I- I'm not in any way, uh, you know, giving any kind of, cover for them right but this is an explanation and yet the tragedy the three hostages israeli hostages that were shot and killed by the idf there's a lot of people now pushing back a little bit on netanyahu and the whole government of what are they doing to get the rest of the people out Uh, and we know the story of how it happened they were shot and killed alan shamriz's dad was on nightly news last night and this is how he feels about what happened the army did not act as an army they act like murderers they just shoot to kill it's not just grief i'm really angry i asked the government stop the shooting and look what's happened what is your message to the government you murdered my son twice you let the hamas take my son on october 7th and you killed my son on December, December 14th. Mm. That's wow. heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. yeah. And there's going to be an accounting uh, in Israel, both from Netanyahu on down to the military leadership for, as he says in his words, allowing this to happen. Allowing it to happen is how they feel. And it took hours and hours and hours for people to rescue the people in these kibbutzes. So that's a question, how they're handling the hostages. And as this goes further and further, there'll be more and more questions. Now, there was a disturbing uh, 
poll that came out yesterday, and it comes from a guy named Mark Penn, who was one of Bill Clinton's big pollsters. He's a Democrat. He is with um, Harvard Harris polling. He asked 2,000 registered voters aged 18 to 24 about the Israel-Hamas war. And while 95% of voters in America over the age of 65 support Israel, do not support Hamas, it's 50-50 amongst our college-age young people. When asked if the October 7th attack was justified, 60% said yes. 53%, and this is staggering, say it's okay for students to call for genocide of Jews. Which makes you wonder, do you really understand the definition of genocide? Yeah, I don't, it doesn't sound like it. This just doesn't add up. And and Mark Penn says, look, I've we know that kids are rebellious at that age. He said, but I have never seen young people this far removed from reality, affected by social media and political currents that have sold them pure propaganda. He told Fox News yesterday that these are rebels without a clue. Well, no wonder you're seeing these demonstrations by young people because they have been taught that Hamas is the democracy, Hamas is the tolerant society, and not Israel. And that, in fact, in new polling we have coming out today, 18 to 24, two-thirds believe that that Jews are an oppressor race. And and so it's really incredible, but and you contrast it to either the rest of the country, or particularly 65-plus, who are with uh, Israel 95 to 5, and don't believe any of the things that college students. We have a huge Gen Z divide here. And yet we should point out it's not all of Gen Z that believes this. It's a subsector of the 18 18 to 24. But just to show you how out of touch they are, they believe that Hamas lets gay people live together openly. Yeah. If they're dead. (laughs) Yeah. There is a space where you can question some of the things going on in Gaza. There is not a space for saying genocide is okay. And and how the Palestinians have been treated. You can make all kinds of political arguments about this. But there is no two-state solution with this crowd. They believe, 51% said that they believe that Israel should lose its existence and their land should be turned over to Palestine. So... um, you know, if you've got a child coming home from college, might ask them their feelings on this and maybe give a, just a gentle, tolerant, impromptu history lesson about the Holocaust, what the thoughts were in 1948 when Israel was created. Um, three women uh, guy charged uh, and one arrested following a year-long human trafficking probe undertaken by sheriff's deputies out of Macomb County. They found an alleged prostitution ring that spanned state lines around the Midwest There was a 52-year-old woman who was arrested inside the MGM Casino Hotel room after police agencies working in several jurisdictions executed search warrants around southeast Michigan. Two other female suspects are still on the loose. The alleged prostitution ring operated out of massage parlors and spas in Macomb and Wayne County. The individuals were being trafficked uh, trafficked and didn't have transportation or a place to live. They were encouraged to solicit sexual acts from customers. They were only paid based on their services and tips and did not earn an hourly wage. And earlier at 619 this morning, we spoke with Macomb County Sheriff Tony Wickersham, and you can hear that full interview on thegreatvoice.com. That this is no victimless crime. I mean, that and that tends to be thrown around when we're talking about prostitution or sex workers. Right. Uh, this was indentured servitude. Yeah, slavery. Yeah, if they had no means... 
to to do anything, no transportation, nothing, then. But they came here legally on visas mm-hmm. and overstayed their visas. But, you know, we're told this is what you have to do. And they had to sleep in these places. They they had to sleep in the spas. It, again, it, it points out just to how desperate people are and the circumstances that they will put themselves. And, and just because there was a person who was arrested inside of an MGM Grand Casino hotel room, MGM Grand has nothing to do with this. They're not involved. They're not part of this. This person was just in a room and they were able to get them when they did this raid. Yeah, they were victims by association right. in, in, in this regard. Um, and we should also point out, uh, you've got some reporting on Christine Beatty, um, and thanks to Local 4 for allowing us to use some of that. But yeah. uh, ML Elric with some very pointed comments on her reemergence here. Uh, she still owes 78000 in restitution mm-hmm. and apparently understood, even though uh, spent some time in law school, doesn't know the definition of restitution or has some, a pretty big misunderstanding of when it's uh, effective and when it isn't. Exactly. And she says she wants to pay it, and she says that she will, so we'll see. And very quickly, the Detroit Pistons, uh, Nick Roddy, uh, they, a little less futile last night. They kept it close, lost by <laughs> yeah, six. Only but single digits. Uh, less futile. Oh, and, and yet you've got a great factoid here that uh, just shows the, the, the level of of futility. Yeah, uh, and it's also the change in the NBA as well. So when they won the title in 2003-2004, they gave up 84 points per game, so defensively very strong. Right now they're giving up 120 points per game. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, every team in the league gives up at least 100 points per game, whereas none of, no teams did that back in 2003, 2004. But. I also have another Ugh. stat. The Spartans won at LCA, so now they have the same record inside LCA as the Pistons. Oh, my God. <laughs> Even though they've only been there? The one time. Quite. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Uh, All righty. Well, when we come back, what happens when rights collide? Yes, gays have a right to marry, and they are protected by the law. But people of religious beliefs also have the right to not be forced into violating those rights. That came to loggerheads up in East Lansing. We have a conclusion on that. We'll speak with the attorney that fought for those religious rights next on JR Morning. We know that uh, it is sometimes a difficult path in in this ever-changing world as cultural norms change to maintain your religious views while also making sure that you observe the rights of others as their rights are expanded. And that was brought into a very clear focus with a case in East Lansing where an orchard owner who uh, sold his wares at the East Lansing Farmer's Market was denied a stall because he while welcoming all customers at his orchard, did take a hard pass on having gay weddings, same-sex weddings, at his venue. And that got him booted from the the farmer's market. Well, that has been overturned now. The city of East Lansing paying a considerable judgment for violating his rights. The attorney that argued his case uh, with the Alliance Defending Freedom joins us live this morning. He uh, is an old friend from uh, my afternoon show. John Bursch joining us live as senior counsel for ADF. Good morning, John. Good morning. You and I, I think, talked in 2017 about this very case. I guess the wheels of justice do kind of grind slowly, but the Tennis family did find uh, a measure of relief from the federal judge on the west side of the state. What did the judge say? What was the final uh, fi- final verdict? It is hard to believe it's been six years since this lawsuit was filed. Uh, But at at the end of the summer, the federal judge in this case said that the city of East Lansing violated the religious free exercise rights 
of Steve Tennis and his business, Country Mill, by excluding them from the East Lansing Farmers Market based on their Catholic understanding of marriage. And uh, that pretty much was the end of the case. And so the, the development this week was that the parties finalized a permanent injunction to make sure that Country Mill could continue serving folks at the farmer's market. And then an $825,000 award based on damages and attorney fees that the city agreed to pay. Uh, I find it interesting, John, that the tennis family will only get $41,000-ish, and then the legal fees are 783000 Yeah, well, with the damages, um, the, the tennises saw an immediate dip in their their revenue as a result of East Lansing trying to exclude them from the farmer's market and some of the bad publicity around that. But in the end, uh, they were more supported by others who were convinced either that their religious views were right or that government officials should never punish anyone because of those religious views. They, they even had you know, folks coming forward who said, I disagree with your views on marriage, but I, I disagree more with what the city did to you here. So I'm going to buy more of your apples, more of your pies, more of your donuts. Um, and so their, their damages were limited to those $40,000, which is a testament to the goodwill of the community. East Lansing has um, an ordinance that um, affirms a tolerance, basically, and says that in contracting, uh, those that don't exercise tolerance will be, um, I guess, punished. Uh, what's the status of that ordinance now in this case? Or is it something that, again, it's in effect and must be challenged on a case-by-case basis? Uh, the ordinance is absolutely still in effect, but it just can't be exercised in a way that discriminates against people because of their religious beliefs. What the judge recognized was that the ordinance was chock full of exceptions that gave government officials virtually unfettered discretion to give exemptions to whomever they wanted. And the U.S. Supreme Court has made clear that when government bureaucrats retain that type of discretionary exemption power, Mm -hmm. then they have to extend exemptions to people based on their religious beliefs unless they have a really compelling reason to do so. And they move forward in the way that most narrowly violates those rights. And that's the exact opposite of what the city did here. Um, So still enforceable, but the city can't use that to discriminate against people because of their religion. John, do you see that this case really represents the ongoing tension between religious freedom and same-sex marriage and, and that we're going to see more and more of these types of, of, of suits, even though the Supreme Court has weighed in on many of them? I think it, it is another in that line of cases, and it's just unfortunate that that tension continues to exist because the individuals like the, the tennises who um, want to continue to live their religious beliefs in the public square will serve anyone. That was the whole point here. The reason East Lansing got upset was because in response to a Facebook inquiry, Mr. Tennis merely stated his Catholic beliefs on marriage on a Facebook page. So this wasn't a matter of anyone being excluded from the market. But then they used that to try to punish him. It's the same in many of these other cases that we see where the baker or the florist or the website designer, they'll, they'll serve everyone. There are just certain messages that they can't express. And if everyone could learn to get along, which is the message that the Supreme Court keeps trying to send people, um, then there's a way to avoid these conflicts. But instead, especially government officials like those in East Lansing, they look for ways to exacerbate the conflict, to make it worse, instead of finding ways that everyone can work together. 
I would argue that Facebook probably makes it worse, too, because back in the day before <laughs> Facebook and social right. media, we yeah. would just go and buy some apples from these people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I completely agree. Social media has been a huge driver uh, that separates people, not just in the context of marriage beliefs, but in all kinds of things. All you have to do is look at the comment section in response to any news article on virtually any topic and just the, the toxic uh, language that's spewing from people. Uh, it, it's just horrible. And it used to be that when you had to interact with someone in person, like go talk to Steve Tennis about his marriage beliefs at the farmer's market in person, that promoted civil dialogue and people finding ways to compromise and, and reach common ground. Uh, but in the anonymity of social media posts, um, all of that goes to the, the side and civility breaks down. And ultimately, that has a really detrimental effect on our culture. John, what would, what would you say to those that say this actually erodes civility and in some cases licenses intolerance against gays? Well, absolutely not. Again, the tennises, they serve everybody. They just want to have everyone to have a, a good time at the farmer's market and on their family farm. Um, the fact that they can't be compelled to do something that violates their religious beliefs promotes tolerance and diversity in our society. And sometimes we forget um, in government's urge to punish religious beliefs that they don't like, mm-hmm. that religion and churches are responsible for many of the great things that we have in our society, from hospitals to libraries to universities to foster care and adoption. Yeah to care for prisoners and the homeless, um, the domestic abuse shelters, all of those are outgrowths of church initiatives that eventually the government decided to support. And so when we constrain and punish religion, um, we're really punishing the very people who bring so much good to our, our society. Yeah, and you know, we should point out there are those in the LGBTQ community that, that see this otherwise. But we're, we're happy for your time. We're happy that the tennises are still in business. And uh, John, thank you for your advocacy. Oh, thank you. Always a pleasure to be on the show. All right. John Birch with the Alliance Defending Freedom. When we come back, what would you think if a parched state wanted to divert Great Lakes water? Is it a reality? That's next. It was quite the wake-up call uh, nearly a quarter century ago, and I remembered it well because I covered it. Uh, some tankers sent into Lake Su- Superior, and it was almost like a compliment. They wanted to scoop up a bunch of Lake Superior water and then sell it to Asian countries as kind of a delicacy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, bottled water from beautiful Lake Superior. Well, the problem is it kind of opened the Pandora's box of what happens if someone just decided to wholesale start diverting Great Lakes water? Well, it ended up we made a compact with not just our neighboring states, but with the nation of Canada to try to protect that. But is the threat of diversion greater than ever? Uh, John Allen is a senior academic and research program officer in the School for Environment and Sustainability at the University of Michigan and uh, was quoted in a Detroit News story about this. We wanted to learn more, and we welcome John to JR Morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you. So just kind of uh, suss that out for us. We we know that uh, now it's just not Asia. I mean, there are a lot of folks in Arizona, Texas, uh, Southern California that are parched and, and casting their eyes towards the you know largest body of uh, fresh water uh, in the world. How great is the threat of diversion? Uh, I, I think there's two things to think about. One, one is currently we know, I know of no, proposals to move water from the Great Lakes to the Southwest or further West, as we have seen in the past. So 
currently there's there's nothing that we've seen to rear its head in that way. However, we we have to continue to remain vigilant, recognizing that climate change, changing precipitation, changing water use continues to put pressure on water systems, both in the Great Lakes and outside the Great Lakes. So, so the threats remain uh, when and if they raise to the level of, of interest in the Great Lakes. Uh, it's just something that we have to continue to be vigilant about. John, what will it take? I mean, how much more will it take before those uh, communities that are running dry in the desert start looking at the Great Lakes and say, hey, we, we, we need some help over here? I think there's growing understanding that you have to manage the water that you have. Just moving water around in wholesale, coming one place, getting it from another place, and moving it in large measure is is not a reasonable or uh, is, is not the first solution you want to look at. Colorado River, Southwest, Ogallala Aquifer in the Midwest, but they're in the in the middle states that are used heavily for irrigation really need to continue the hard work of finding solutions and conservation and building a plan for the water that they have. John, talk to us about why it's a problem. If we have an abundance of water and there are people who need it, why is it a problem to move it? That's always a good question. Um, The compact is rooted in a a principle of conservation. It's rooted in the principle that, that the Great Lakes are better when the Great Lakes have the Great Lakes water in them. It's a sort of simple notion that water in its place has value. That that wholesale movements of water, large diversions of water out of the Great Lakes can and could lead to ecological harm. So the compact, while it prevents diversions, is, is rooted in the idea that we are here to protect the integrity, the ecological integrity of the Great Lakes. So it's really a conservation basis for why we protect the Great Lakes and why we love the Great Lakes so much as, as a pretty universal belief in, in and through the Great Lakes. We've seen uh, a migration of sorts to the southwest. Those states that are kind of naturally dry are gaining political clout. When this compact was made, uh, there was broad support for it. How worried are you that the compact could be broken once those in Congress who rep- represent dry states outnumber those who represent wet states? Well, I think that's that's sort of the point that we have to continue to be understanding and vigilant and and be conservative in our own use of water. It's very hard to say no to others if we're being if we're not being conservative or we're not thinking about it properly within our own system. But how hard would that no compact somebody. be to break? Um, I, I think it's very hard. I think you have an agreement between eight states and signed by eight governors, legislators, signed by Congress. It's, it's legally very hard to undo. Nothing legal is permanently undoable. And that's why we have to remain vigilant that the, that the pressures elsewhere cannot mount to the point where the compact is put in jeopardy. But but that takes work on our part to make sure that we're attending to the values and the principles and the agreements that the compact laid out. John, was was there ever any diversions of water into or out of the Great Lakes before that compact was signed? Yes, uh, the big one, and it's rooted and and sort of, um, uh, uh, enshrined in the United States Supreme Court, and that's the diversion of water out for the Chicago River. The Chicago River essentially was reversed its flow, and now a substantial amount of water can leave the Great Lakes and go down the Chicago River, down the down the Mississippi. And there is actually a larger amount of water coming into the Great Lakes 
up in Lake Superior. It's called Long Lake and Ogoki. And there's so if you do the math on it, it's about five thirds, which is more than more than one. There's more water coming into the Great Lakes on diversion than going out currently. If that exit to the Chicago River takes the Asian carp with it, is that such a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, Asian carp can swim upstream. <laughs> so, uh, and, and you know, another one of those ongoing threats. Luckily, Asian carp aren't in the Great Lakes, but it's something that we have to be vigilant about, and we have to build systems to protect ourselves from. And John, to be clear, there's no official request to divert water here from the Great Lakes. This is just a discussion because the compact is 15 years old now. Yeah, at 15 years old, I think it's, you know, we want to celebrate something that a lot of people didn't think could happen then and and even more people think couldn't happen again given yeah. given political environments. However, when we when we do deal with Great Lakes issues across the Great Lakes, we find them to be remarkably durable and remarkably multipartisan, not just bipartisan or nonpartisan, but but the, the Great Lakes are pretty sacrosanct for people that live throughout our states and the region. Um, but at 15 years old, it is important to take stock. Things change. The lakes change. Mm-hmm. The pressures change. The politics change. And if we're not vigilant and just think everything's going to be the same, then, then we may miss something. Well, I never underestimate the will of politicians to cater to a special interest group that, that is uh, very passionate. Um, you know, Daniel Yergin was considered to be probably one of the brightest voices on the energy economy globally. Mm-hmm. He said, I think it may have been 10, 15 years ago now, that he felt that the next civil war wasn't going to be over oil uh, or the next global war wasn't going to be over oil. It was going to be over water. Is that a very real thing? I've heard that a long time. My early professors, when I was coming up, said similar things. And when you look globally at, at loss of water systems, whether it's in the central regions of India, whether it's in other parts of the world, and certainly within our own country, that, that I do think we have to look at sort of the underlying geopolitics of water and make sure that we're attending to them. Uh, U- University of Michigan was just awarded a large National Science Foundation grant to look at how do you manage water that's shared, this notion of transboundary, right, water moving across boundaries. Mm-hmm. Most of our great water systems are not managed by one country or another. They're managed in a shared way. The Danube has six or seven countries. and many systems around the world, I could go through them. So part of it is the art of understanding global politics and part of it's understanding the nature of how do you decide about a water body that doesn't know how to follow a boundary, right? And, and that's one of the legacies of the Great Lakes is we build a lot of institutional capacity around managing water that's shared by two countries, multiple tribal sovereigns, thousands of local jurisdictions. It's complicated, but it's doable, and that's the way you have to manage water. Fascinating discussion, John Allen. We thank you so much for your expertise. And you're right, it's it's all about better management, using it agriculturally to the best advantage. And uh, that includes our friends in the Southwest and in California as well. Um, thank you for your time. Oh, happy to chat, chat with you. Right. Thanks. For- yeah, really interesting discussion. And wow. uh, th- that compact was kind of a miracle. To get eight states to come together and agree on something along with Canada was no easy task. And he's right. That's something uh, that 15 years ago should be celebrated today. When we come back, a a major change, maybe, from Pope Francis yesterday regarding the church and same-sex couples and the blessings that they can receive from the church. Um, We'll have that for you at 849, just ahead on JR Morning.
Well, look at headlines uh, globally as Pope Francis eased ever so slightly uh, the the way that the church approaches same-sex couples, by no means licensing uh, gay marriage, but at least allowing for the blessing of same-sex couples uh, as long as it wasn't in the context of a marriage ceremony or the sacrament of marriage. It's 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 a very fine line, uh, and we are uh, joined by Marie Osborne, WGR Senior News Analyst, who is going to help maybe clarify uh, that line a little bit. Marie, good morning. Hopefully, Guy, that's our aim here. So although this is being called a real development, it is very important to note that the traditional doctrine about marriage, that is, that it's a union between a man and a woman, that has not changed in the Catholic Church. This move does not amend the traditional doctrine of the Church because it does not involve liturgical rites like the sacrament of marriage does. So priests have long been able to bless people for a variety of reasons, but the church said it wouldn't approve that blessing for same-sex couples because it could undermine church doctrine on marriage. But now that's what's changed. This new document stresses that these blessings must be non-liturgical in nature, should not be confirmed at the same time as a civil union, uh, using a set of rituals or even the clothing and gestures that belong in a wedding. Those things are not allowed. The documents stress that people in, quote, irregular unions of extramarital sex, gay or straight, are in a state of sin, but it said that should not deprive them of God's love and mercy. The, the Vatican holds that marriage is an undissolvable union between a man and a woman, as a, and as a result, has long opposed same-sex marriage. Uh, Guy, you might remember in 2021, the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith said flat out the church couldn't bless the unions of two men or two women because, quote, God cannot bless sin. So this change on the stand of the blessings for same-sex cu couples is a clear softening from 2021. I think Pope Francis is trying to include as many people as possible in the church, and that might be the motivation here. Um, I, I think you might be right on that, Jamie. I mean, it's not clear what his exact motivation was in this. Uh, it is, it's my understanding that it's much easier to make, um, uh, um, a change in this sort of document or uh, releasing this kind of document because you're not changing doctrine in any way. You're just saying these people now can receive this blessing where they haven't in the past. This is not a, a uh, change like in church rules or church doctrine. Uh, and as I said, anybody really can get a blessing. You could go to a priest and say, I, would you please bless me because I'm having surgery or um, whatever. Uh, would you bless my grandchildren? So they're kind of encompassing that in, in that sort of spirit. So the, the Vatican stressed that marriage remains exclusively between a man and a woman and any priest granting a blessing to the same sex couple must avoid any form of confusion or scandal that could suggest otherwise. Right. That's as I said, they, they can't make anything like they can't wear the same clothing. You know, priests uh -huh. wear vestments during a wedding. Uh -huh. They can't wear any of those vestments. They can't uh, make any of the gestures that would belong in a wedding. Specifically, what I'm thinking of there is the priest does bless 
um, the the hands of the the uh, couple that's to be married. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you know that those kinds of things will not be allowed. This will be just a general blessing for the couple. It's a difficult line that that the, the Pope has to walk here. He wants to grow the church. He's trying to address the exodus of those that are concerned about LGBTQ rights or that are same-sex couples themselves. But what we've seen in the Anglican Church, the Methodist Church, that once you start to erode those prohibitions, that you will have conservative members split off and start their own sects or their own uh, sub, you know, subsects of the church. So he, he's got to be very careful that he's not causing a split, correct? Yeah, oh, very, so very true. I mean, uh, again, on this matter, I think this is probably the very lightest way he could have tread mm-hmm. into this area. So, um, in, in other words, making the some of the LGBTQ members uh, happy with this perhaps development and then uh, the, the conservative uh, wing saying, no, you know, we're not changing anything on a sacrament of marriage. It still is a sacrament within the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Just two days ago, Church of England blesses same-sex couples for first time, but they can't wed in the church. So there's a movement. Well, it shows, yeah, Yeah. and this is what conservatives fear. There's this incremental march towards the the elimination of those prohibitions. Um, Exactly. It's a fascinating line that the Pope is trying to walk. Marie, thank you. Thank you, guys. Take care. Um, They got a problem in New York City. They got a lot of problems. But there is a gawker, a peeper, and the peeper is doing this. Terrorizing. Terrorizing people in high rises. Imagine that. A pair of eyes, you can be on the 30th floor, and it's still going to be looking in at you, violating your privacy. This is an owl that was born at the Central Park Zoo, lived there for a number of years, and then escaped. And he's kind of become a bit of a folk hero amongst the, the perches in and around Central Park. He has been. Uh, he's been helping them with their rat problem I'm, there in the I was Big Apple. Say, that's the problem that they he's, have too. Yeah. He's been dining large for a long time, <laughs> and, but he's been largely been keeping people alone. He's been very um, shy. Well, now he is perching on wi- window ledges and just peering in and and peeping. With those big owl eyes. And big his head yellow. probably you know turns around. <laughs> yeah. You know, can turn their heads around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking at both sides of the street. <laughs> yeah. And when he does that three sixty, it kind of freaks you out, doesn't it? <laughs> um, the Wall Street Journal reporting on this and saying, you know. Um, We've got a lot of weird people on the streets of New York. We just don't normally have a lot of weird things floating around several stories above the street. (laughs) His name is Flacco. He is an orange-eyed Eurasian eagle owl, and he is uh, somewhat of a celebrity. But the people that encounter him all of a sudden will look up, and, yeah, you've got a pair of yellow eyes uh, glowing at you. And the guy says, yeah, it scared the you-know-what out of me. Look at a little jaundice. You need to check your Billy Rubin. But, I mean, he's yeah. a two-foot owl. This is a big, yeah, big bird. That's a big bird. And uh, and he is he is beautiful. Uh, but, yeah, just uh, – uh, yeah, it's a – does that mean it would, it, it's a, a whodunit? <laughs> do you crack yourself up over that? I, I do. I, I don't know. Why, yes, but. here we are in the, the, the land of dad jokes. Poor Jamie. Yeah. Uh, well, we appreciate you being with us for this Tuesday edition. As we said, we hope you'll come back and see us tomorrow at 6. And on Thursday, as we said, something special, a holiday party that we'll be holding at Startup Nation for 
uh, some of the biggest newsmakers to kind of give a year-end wrap-up on on uh, the state of the world in your community. We'll be doing that as well as just kind of celebrating our first uh, holiday together. Solving all the problems of the world. As we try to every morning uh, with a dad joke or two thrown in. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow. I'll talk is next.